Hello listeners and welcome to the Monta Weekly Podcast, bringing energy matters in an informal setting. Over the past few months, we have talked in detail about reforms of Europe's energy markets. I think it's safe to say that in coming episodes, we will also digest and discuss the proposals published by the European Commission. But this week, we look at the impact on one sector that is growing fast and which will form an integral part of the energy transition, the battery and storage industry. What does the proposed regulation mean for the fairly new but expanding sector, as several firms have said they are mulling a move to the US? The scramble for subsidies is certainly on for this part of the industry. I'm Richard Sverson, and joining me today is Giorgio Corbetta of Eurobat, the Association of European Automotive and Industrial Battery Manufacturers. Welcome back on the pod, Giorgio. This time you have a different hat on, though. Hi, Richard. Indeed. Uh, yeah, I think we talked a few, well, a couple of years back, and it's great to be back on the pod. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Um, I'd, I'd like just to sort of um, start talking a little bit about the ba- battery sector. I mean, which companies, for example, do you represent and, and how are they doing at the moment, sort of following the pandemic and the energy crisis? Absolutely. So as Eurobat, as you mentioned, we represent mostly European battery manufacturers. Um, most of them actually have a global scope. So most of our members are, I would say, met or um, in the middle, I would say, of the battery value chain. We do represent also different kind of companies upstream and more kind of downstream too. But once again, uh, I would say that the bulk of the membership is indeed midstream battery manufacturers. And just to give you some context on what battery technology actually looks like now, we do represent all different battery technologies. Uh, and that includes obviously lithium, nickel, but also lead. And I think it's important to remember that even though much of the discussions now in the European Union and actually globally focus on newer battery technologies, uh, lead and lead batteries have been around for over a year. And I think uh, that's where, in particular, when it comes to Europe, most of the skills, you know, much of the experience and the expertise when it comes to the battery market, also from manufacturing and recycling perspective, is uh, is actually coming from. It's good to clear that. But where, for example, where are often the best locations for for these 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 mega battery factories? Once again, just because we've been doing batteries or making batteries in the European Union for over. Uh, hundred years, we do have many plants all around the European Union member states and actually beyond that, right? Um, I think one important piece of information, one additional piece of information is that obviously batteries are part of a global value chain and that, you know, in a way makes some um, businesses and running a battery manufacturing business uh, more kind of complex because of the trends and the changes you're actually exposed to. As a manufacturer, um, both, you know, when it comes to where you source the raw material from to, you know, how you actually embed the batteries in different appliances that actually make use of the battery. Um, but, you know, I think when it comes to the gigafactories, uh, you can see them really all around. You see them in Italy and in Spain, in France, 
in the Nordics too. So I think it's um, there's obviously a number of criteria that are factored into you know the decision of where to base a battery manufacturing plant, and that you know concerns naturally the logistics. Um, so whether it's easy to move goods in and out of the plant, how close you are to where you actually sell the battery, but also, you know, what are the conditions where you actually are in terms of also uh, how green actually the electricity is. I think that's also one of the factors uh, because most of the gigafactories that we see now, of course, you know, place um, a an increasing um, value in how green, you know, in obviously marketing their products as basically green ones. Uh, and this is also where we see uh, the customer demands moving into. So I would say there's no one place. That's also, I would say, the beauty of the European Union single market, which is obviously one of the questions that we're probably discussing now too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, we hear... Well, some of the focus is on the gigafactories and, and especially the more recent ones maybe that have been uh, established a base, for example, in, in the northern Nordics. Um, I, I just want to sort of double check a couple of facts with you, Georgia. If so, we, we hear that, you know, to produce to 40 to 50 gigawatt hour battery would consume something between 300 and 360 megawatts a year. Is that Would that be correct? Well, I think it very much uh, depends. Of course, you know, you have different assessments and we're probably reading the same reports. Because we don't have a report of our own, I don't I don't think I can actually confirm that. But, you know, I, I, I think I know where that's uh, where that figure is uh, coming. And I think it, it, it's accurate depending on you know where your plan is and what kind of technology you're actually using of course the the main point being here is is to to say that these are very important consumers of electricity these these factories that is true and they're, they're that is for a, sure a, true. and they're an important part of the demand side in the market so that's i think um, Absolutely. that i think that's very good to to bear in mind but um if we can move on to um we've seen recent headlines um you know, in, in, across the media, um, for example, battery manufacturers looking uh, or mulling a move to the U.S. Uh, it, w w what's happening here, Giorgio? So that's one of the million-dollar questions, <laughs> and uh, I think we do see that. You know, I don't, I don't think uh, there's any doubt about that. And this is essentially coming as most of your listeners will probably know from the inflation. Reduction Act in the United States, and that was, you know, a I would say package of uh, financial aid that was uh, released in the U.S. last year. And of course, you know, uh, one of the advantages of that, from the perspective of you know clean tech manufacturers, is that it's very comprehensive and it makes it very easy to calculate the net present value. Of a plant, you know, I think it's a it's a raft of subsidies that you know. I think it's it's true and it's uh, attractive not only to battery manufacturers but also, um, you know, other other clean tech or 
other, you know, value chain kind of players are naturally looking at this. So I think uh, when it comes to, you know, reaction from European businesses, what we see across our membership is that depends where you're based, right? So naturally, manufacturers who are based uh, in the US are looking at that as an as a huge opportunity, you know, to boost their production. But also, you know, if you have manufacturers which might not, you know, be based uh, necessarily in the US, but with operations in the US, that's also something interesting. And that's also something they look at when it comes to, you know, making a decision of where to put their plant. And this is probably the specific example we're talking about here. But I think it's also important to mention that the IRA is really something um, which, you know, of course, we're not in, in a position to judge on whether this is actually good or bad. But for sure, uh, A, it depends where you're from and also where you're based. And B, this is really something which will have an impact on the global battery and probably more upstream raw materials value chain. And I think there's also a set of battery manufacturers who, you know, don't necessarily look at the IRA as something positive for their business. Uh, what what do you mean there exactly, Georgia? So well, I mean, of course, you know, I think uh, we have players who are not, which, you know, would not necessarily benefit uh, as things are now. Things might change, as we know, but, uh, you know, as uh, things stand now, you know, there is... Uh, many players who won't be able to actually benefit and, you know, don't have the opportunity to even move to the US in order to be able to get those kind of benefits. Let's talk about the European response here. How? Uh, what's your view here? Has the response from policymakers in Brussels, where you, where you are based, has that been adequate? Are you, are you, is that satisfactory to, to prevent? I mean, we the, the companies I, I mentioned that have openly said their mulling moves are like Northwalt or, or Freyde based in the Northern Nordics. But so to try to for, for the European Union to to provide an incentive for them to, to stay within uh, for battery manufacturers to stay within within the internal energy market, if you like, that's where it's you know, crucial for us. It, it, has the response been uh, been good enough? Sure. So naturally, I can't talk about any specific member or company. Sure, of course not. Uh, mm. But when it comes to, you know, the European response, I think first thing is important to also flag that one of the beauties, I think one of the positives of the Inflation Reduction Act is that it's really support of the conversation around, you know, what's the European clean tech industrial policy. So that's definitely a positive move. And, you know, if you think that the EU battery action plan, which is, you know, it's really the roadmap as to how to, you know, support and grow the EU domestic battery value chain dates back 2017 or 2018, you know, I think uh, the context is completely changed. So naturally, that's the opportunity to take another look at what we need in terms of industrial policy if we really want to um, develop or continue developing a EU battery value chain. But in terms of the actual response, I think it's also 
important and interesting to mention that, you know, this was coming really out of the blue. So I don't think us as European industry and even European Union policymakers were ready for that. So I think when it comes to the European Commission response, uh, we need to also, I would say, in a way, applaud the European Commission because they're putting together a set of measures in a relatively little time. And I think this response probably revolves around three things mainly. One, one is the TCTF, which is one of the acronyms that we're probably going <laughs> to unpack now, uh, which is the Temporary Crisis and Transition Framework for the state aid, which is essentially an amendment to the state aid framework. Um, and that's really the first kind of pillar of, uh, of the response by the European Union as we see it. Then, of course, it's much more granular, but the main lines are this ones, right? Uh, and that was actually published last week. So of, of that, we know if most of it, I would say. Uh, but the other two pillars were really the NZIA, which is the Net Zero Industry Act, uh, which looks more at the, I would say, downstream segment of the clean tech value chain. And the third one is the Critical Raw Materials Act, uh, which really looks at the upstream, right? So, you know, how can the European Union source um raw materials in a in a safe you know and in a sustainable way moving forward so if we can start with the the first of those um the first kind of legislation so the the loosening of the state aid rules basically yeah to enable uh national governments to 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 pump money into into these type of ventures as well as maybe you know solar panels turbines heat pumps but batteries are certainly uh, a key element of this so my my question is which national governments can afford to 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 put this kind of money in you know because it's you're not talking small sums no no and i think you know that's really the debate that we've been seeing now for the past few weeks right um i think what we would say is that of course we like very much um a batteries being explicitly picked as relevant equipment for the transition towards net zero economy and you know we of course know <laughs> that batteries play an obvious role in achieving the green deal objectives although um a clarification of that in the context of a state aid um measure or revision of measures is obviously good um you know really from the perspective of the investors it gives probably more um clarity to industry as to what the way forward is and you know i, I think if you look at it uh, the combination of the covid 19 war in the ukraine uh and also inflation now you know of course has worsened a lot the business case for building and recycling also batteries in the european union so from our perspective, providing more um, slack to member states to support the EU domestic battery value chain is definitely very good. And I think what we're explicitly looking at was the option to match foreign aid uh, in exceptional 
circumstances. So when there is a clear threat of a company which is actually critical for the EU to achieve its net zero ambition to actually move elsewhere, right? And this is obviously critical to battery manufacturers, which of course operate under shareholders' uh, value maximization rules, you know? Um, and this is very important to stay in the European Union and also something we're hoping for. Of course, you know, um, that uh, probably goes beyond um, the set of things we have an opinion on. But of course, when it comes to the battery value chain, um, you know, it is not only global, but also very, very local in the European Union and across the different member states. So obviously you have a high number of small and medium enterprises, right, which are part of that. And, you know, based on where they are, might not get as much uh, um, help as they need. So I think uh, when you ask, uh, you know, which are the countries that could put much, you know, more money in relative and probably also in absolute terms into uh, supporting battery investments, uh, we know what they are. Of course, it's the larger e economies. Um, so one of our points there is, of course, that we shouldn't forget that one key enabler of a true new battery value chain is, of course, the EU single market. And that should be obviously preserved. Mm, of course. And that's very much come to the fore this week is clearly that uh, the European Commission doesn't want to interfere with with a lot of the wholesale market price certainly the the pricing mechanisms which is which was which I think was a relief to, to to many in the market but but if I think I suppose the crucial question is Giorgio will it be enough to prevent you know this kind of industrial flight you know uh yeah that's unfortunately one of the many questions I don't think I have a sound answer for uh and I think we'll see, right? As you mentioned, those information are actually public. So I think, you know, that on this, what I can say is that the legislation is very clear, right? So member states would have under set of circumstances the possibility to actually match that kind of investment. So if you read it to the letter, then that should be, you know, enough. But of course, you know, I think here we're obviously focusing on the financial aspect right um which is obviously critical <laughs> uh in particular when it comes to the capex but i think what's also interesting here is the relationship that eu battery manufacturers have been obviously building with the entire ecosystem at a regional eu and local level which is all something that those companies also value um so i think this this has to be seen in the context of you know uh it's all part of a more complex uh, environment and a more kind of complex set of decisions that a company needs to make when it comes to actually figuring where they want to put their plan. Absolutely. I mean, do you think, for example, maybe that the EU is prioritizing other factors such as maybe the production of green hydrogen over over storage and batteries, or are they on the sort of, sort of same sort of level playing field? Well, I think once again, if you look this time at the Net Zero Industry Act, I think you know there is a set of clean tax which are clearly picked as the ones which are best helping the European Union get into net zero. And I think you know both batteries and um, green hydrogen are there. 
Um, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure I can say that I, you know, see a, um, dichotomy between batteries and hydrogen. I think, you know, those are two different technologies for two different users. Yep. They can happily coexist. And if they receive the kind of the, the, the financial support needed so they can, they, they, and I mean, of course they're important part of, of the, the, the green transition, uh, let's not be said, but are there any sort of barriers that remain? So obstacles within the legal framework that, you know, um, maybe are preventing a, a, a rapid rollout of, of batteries, uh, Giorgio? I think there is. And I, and if I can actually summarize that, probably, you know, I think the main issue we see is the consistency across different pieces of legislation. And I think for batteries, the regulatory framework is obviously very complex because, of course, you don't only um, have legislation on the battery as a product, but you also have legislation on the product where the batteries actually go. And that's many, you know, if you think of vehicles, if you think of energy storage for the power grid and many others. Um, but then you also have horizontal legislation on when, when it comes to, you know, due diligence. And on top of that, you know, of course, you're also going to have, and here we're probably also uh, really touching upon the Critical Rogers Act, you know, um, sustainability and circularity of the product and of the substances that go into the product as such. So the regulatory ecosystem is very complex. And I think one of the, you know, issues or one of the criticalities is that it's not easy to make sense of, you know, A, what are the, the obligations across the different member states? As you know, of course, if you think about it, the, the main piece of legislation and probably the more consequential piece of legislation for batteries is a directive, which is called the Battery Directive, uh, which dates uh, back 2006 and is now being replaced by the Batteries Regulation, um, which has been agreed informally uh, by the co-legislators of the European Union last year. And of course, you know that in our or to our mind, that should be the main piece of legislation when it comes to, you know, giving clear guidance to battery manufacturers and in general, you know, everyone who has a say and who have a stake in the battery value chain in different fashion uh, as to, you know, how they should um, manage their business, you know, from the very beginning, you know, sourcing of the raw materials to the recycling and the disposal of the batteries. And that clarity is not there. So I think if anything, um, you know, we will say, look, we have the batteries regulation or we will have batteries regulation. That should be the main piece of legislation. Whilst actually what we see is that there's a plethora of other pieces of legislation, which of course, um, you know, mandate um, uh, different provisions uh, when it comes to, you know, batteries in the power system, batteries for cars, but also if you think of everything that goes with uh, sustainability and the classification of the substances that go into the batteries, that's, that's really a very complex uh, regulatory framework, which, you know, we hope something like the Critical Rangers Act won't worsen in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously, uh, 
your role here, Georgia, in a way, isn't helping companies in in the sector to navigate this 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 minefield of of legislation and rules and regulation that that uh, that that uh, impacts the, the the sector. But as a kind of final question, I'd like to ask: is as we roll out renewable energy and renewable energy sources, solar, wind, uh, hydro, what, whatever it may be, you know, the role of batteries is crucial here in storage and 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 especially in those times when there. Uh, isn't any you know on a still uh cloudy day when they you know or at night the the so-called dunkelflaute in germany um in winter um so the rollout of batteries is going to be crucial is that is it happening fast enough do you think when it comes to batteries for storage of electricity the political support and the political push is is there precisely because of what you mentioned right so we we need um to decarbonize the power grid at an you know um, increasingly higher pace, and I think that's why batteries are an obvious ally and an obvious enabler of that. I think if you look at you know uh, how the power market is also evolving, naturally there are obviously concerns about you know uh, the potential reform of the power market but the power market and the power system is getting um, more and more sophisticated so the role of batteries is even clearer now which means that you know that doesn't have always you know a direct effect on the business case but of course you know it uh, helps i think a faster deployment when it comes to whether that's fast enough i think uh the way I understand that is compared to how fast we need to go to get to net zero by 2050. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, the answer, uh, it, you know, might be, uh, might be different, you know, with respect to where you stand. But uh, I think for sure, we see uh, the role of batteries being increasingly, I would say, clear to any stakeholder of course we're speaking mostly with uh basically the policymakers but those who also ha- have an understanding of how the power system and the power market works um you know increasingly rely on uh, or increasingly conceive actually batteries as a key enabler of the decarbonization of the power system as such really and that's a that's a very uh, important step of course uh, along the way yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I think maybe to summarize then, so far so good, doing uh, satisfactory, but uh, could do much better and faster. Yeah. That's always the case, I guess. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, the, the how the, the battery market is moving forward, I think, of course, there's there's uh, there's need of more, uh, more batteries. Uh, and, of course, we're not even discussing here... Um, the role of batteries in the decarbonization of transport, right? Which is probably going to be for a, another episode of the for pod. Sure. <laughs> Giorgio, thank you very much for being a guest again on, on the Monta Weekly Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Goodbye. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Monta Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions, questions, or, you know, let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. 
Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.